Welcome to another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, I interview Jose Luis Naranjo from Northrop Grumman. His story is fascinating. You will discover about his accomplishments and tenacity of finishing a career in MIT. You will also learn about the love from his parents and the encouragement he received early from his family. The instillment of playing and love for music at an early age. We will get to discover what it was and what it took for him to finish MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and graduate with an aerospace engineering degree, and how he was able to achieve an internship in various locations, and how that has taken him to be at the position that he currently holds. Welcome, welcome Jose Luis, thank you. Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. Thank you so much to the audience and to the viewers. This is an audio as well as a video, so please check it out and I hope you listen to it and pay attention because this is gonna be a special one. Today, I have the honor of having Jose Luis Naranjo from Northrop Grumman with me. He went to MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and that is an awesome accomplishment. He works for Northrop Grumman, and he's been there for about 11 years. And regardless of him having a spinal injury, he has been a successful individual, and he's been a persistent individual. So now, welcome. Welcome, Jose Luis. Thank you Thank for you, being here with me with uh, Success Innovation. So can you please tell us a little bit about your background and who you are and, well, kind of just guide us through your early beginnings? Well, I guess it can go as early as, uh, you know, I was born uh, in Tijuana, Mexico, right. um, to, you know, my parents, obviously, and uh, we immigrated here when I was three years old, uh, moved here to San Diego or San Isidro here, California. Um, where I did most of my schooling, uh, you know, elementary school and, and high school. I went to Chula Vista High School and here in Chula Vista. Um, and yeah, as uh, Lazaro mentioned, uh, you know, I eventually uh, had an interest in, in math and science and, you know, from a very young age and over a very long time, right. I uh, um, had, a, had an interest in, 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 and was good at math. Not, not that I was just good, but I worked really hard at it, you know, had a lot of really great teachers and um, a lot of long hours and a lot of studying, but uh, eventually, you know, I applied to MIT um, where I majored in aerospace engineering. Okay, um, awesome, so. fantastic. So let me go back to elementary school. And obviously I mentioned your spinal injury. At that time you were walking, you were, you were uh, sure a thing. fully functional individual, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, not that you're not now, but able body. Just, was, a, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sorry about that, but mm -hmm. you were, your, your body, your limbs were functioning without sure. assistance. So um, at what age you mentioned steam or STEM, STEM, math, science, math, technology, and engineering. How did you, what was your first exposure to engineering? Um, my first exposure to engineering. So I, I don't know if, I guess you can just say as a young age, as a young kid, right? I was always, I would look up at the, you know, at the, at the, at the stars, at the sky, at okay, the stars, right? right? Yeah. You know, I was just, you know, I was very curious about the universe and space and, you know, and rockets. And, um, and so I just thought it was really cool to, you know, to see those kinds of things or, 
you know, I, or I'd watch, you know, shows on, on television with my, with my parents, you know, whether it's National Geographic or just, you know, documentaries about those kinds of things. Wow. What's, that would spark an interest. But. What's, what's, what's the show that you can pinpoint or recall that you really enjoyed watching with your parents? Was it a, a documentary? Was it Nova? Was it Gen, uh, National um, Geographic or something like that? Or this? I would say, I don't, I don't know if it was a show per se. I think it was more a book, actually. It was oh, really? more like an encyclopedia type awesome. of book. I just, I don't remember the name of it. My, my parents had a series of, of nature books, if you will. And I remember one was about space and, okay. you know, it had pictures of galaxies and wow. things of that nature. But, okay. um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, there were all sorts okay. of uh, documentaries that I remember too. Not necessarily about space per se, but just nature in general. I mean, you know, by, uh, 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 yeah, I just can't remember the name right now. Right. But, so yeah. what age were you at that time? <sighs> uh, I don't know. I must have been, you know, it was seven, early. eight, seven, you know, eight. Yeah, so it was yeah. early. Your yeah. your imagination started going at an early age mm-hmm. when you were like second, third grade, or maybe at at that age. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, off of that, you're interested in space. You obviously probably wanted to be an astronaut because that was something that interested you at some point. Maybe a fighter pilot, possibly. Well, or, actually, I don't you know? know. I just yeah. I just thought that okay. the that the rockets and the and the planes and the space was cool. I don't know if I ever myself wanted to be an okay. you know an astronaut really? or a pilot, okay. but but I just okay. thought you know those just in general. I just thought that was you know a a cool uh, okay. uh, you know area. So you go you grow up and then you fall into high school. What high school did you attend? Uh, Chula Vista High School. Chula Vista High School. So in high school, what was the teacher or the science class that inspired you to pursue engineering? And how did you find out specifically about aerospace engineering? Out of all the engineering fields, why did you pursue aerospace and not mechanical, chemical, right. or so, any other ones? I don't know if I can credit a single even high school teacher, right? Okay. I think I think I'd have to go back as early as elementary school, you know, okay. that that you know, I don't think math and science was not one of those things that I just woke up one day and I felt mm-hmm. like this is what I want to do, okay. right? I, I said that I was interested in, you know, space and that was just a curiosity, right? right. But but you also have to work at it and get good at something, which go. is, you know, the math and the science. So I feel like it's one of those things that, um, you know, I had good teachers and, you know, credit to my parents that would, you know, say, you know, do your homework and you have to study and, and work so hard. So your parents were a key part of your development and academic persistence because right. they would instill in you and push you to continue to do right. whatever you needed to do and develop that discipline that you later in the future would need. Right. So it's one of those things that over time when you work on something and you right. practice something, right. um, you get better at it. Mm-hmm. Initially, you're not very good at it, right? right? Exactly. The way I look at it, it's kind of like pushing a car, right? Yeah. Where initially it's really hard, right? right? But over time, you start to move it a little bit more. You and build you, that momentum. You build more momentum and right. you get better and better. So yeah. I feel like with math and science, I know early on I, I was probably not very good at it, mm-hmm. but over time I got better and better. Such, but when I got to high school, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had a lot of momentum going into it. Okay. And, and I guess I learned to enjoy it. Not that I, not that I said I just like doing math and science, okay. but because I got good at it, I saw, I guess you can say the beauty in it, right? Uh, over time, you get better at it, you appreciate it, um, you you enjoy it, and so I coupled that with my curiosity in, you know, space and you know rockets and and planes. Awesome. And it was it was more of like, oh, okay, well, I guess the natural fit is aerospace engineering. Right. So it was more a combination of 
working on something like math and science over a long time and getting good at it with the curiosity that said, oh, well, I think aerospace engineering seems like the natural fit. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, during high school, you're going through the regular classes. At that time, was there a robotics team or a science club in your high school in Chula Vista High that you were part of? Or um, not really? I was not part of like a robotics class. Okay. Um, you know, I was, I was a part of, um, we did have a, a, a math team, if you will. Okay. Um, uh, I was part of another organization, it's called Academic League, okay. um, right, that I yeah. competed in. Right, um, kind of so, like Jeopardy type Yeah, exactly, thing you can think you, of it like, right, yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 or yeah. some academic decathlon, you right, call exactly. it type of thing. Where so, you compete with other peers, different right. high schools, and you answer different questions. It could be about, in this case, it was more math, right? right. More math, okay, understood. So. When you're in your senior year, you obviously wanted to apply to different colleges, and you did. And was MIT your first choice? To be honest, it wasn't. It was not. It was not what my was first, your first choice. choice. It was not my first choice. My okay. first choice was actually UC Berkeley. UC Berkeley. Yeah. Okay. But you applied to MIT. And MIT is a very prestigious college, and the connotation of just saying MIT to some individuals and to the audience, it might be a very daunting goal to reach to even get in there. How did you feel to get accepted to MIT? Uh, it was, it was, I was, yeah, I guess I was, I don't know, I, it was shocking. I was, was very, shocking. yeah, I was, um, I, I don't know if you can say surprised, you know, excited, obviously, right? right. I was very excited, very proud. Um, yeah, because I, I originally, like I said, my, my, you know, I had an older sister, you right. know, that, that went to UC Berkeley. Okay. And, you know, I think that was, you know, a big inspiration, you know, to see her go there. Um, I visited the campus. They had a great engineering program, um, you know, and I was set on that. But at the same time, I knew MIT was, you know, known as, as the best, um, you know, university for aerospace engineering. Right. Um, and so I felt I was encouraged, you know, by my, my counselors in high school to apply. Uh -huh. um, and so I did. Right. I yeah. was like, OK, well, I'll apply. Right. Um, so it's not that I had but the you confidence. Were, you were not really expecting to get accepted. To some extent, really, I wasn't. Okay. Um, I, I, I wasn't sure if I had, you know, if I was, you know, if you will, if you will, right. good enough right. to get into yeah. MIT. Right. Mm -hmm. But my counselors thought I was. And so they encouraged me to apply. And I did, and okay. um, sure enough, I got the acceptance letter, and I was super excited. I mean, I, I guess I, yeah, I don't know how it is to say it, but just, um, you know. So when you yeah. get this acceptance letter, you tell your family, you tell your parents, and everybody's really cheering for you, and when it gets near to the point of actually leaving home for the very first time, because you're, you're about 18, right? And it's not just like you're going up to UC Berkeley, which is a couple hours away. It's across the country, over in Massachusetts. It's not even California. It's right. a different time zone. And your parents are going to be far away. The weather's totally different. The culture is different. What was, when you actually got there, what was your feeling? Um, I was, it was, uh, it was, it was, let's see, um, very welcoming. Very I mean, welcoming. actually, you know, yeah, because I remember, you know, I got accepted and, and I told my mom and my mom was like, well, where's that? 
I had to bring up out, out a map, you know, right, and I okay. said, we are down here, right. this corner of the country. Right. MIT is at the opposite <laughs> corner of the country, right? You know, and, uh, and, but yeah, when I arrived, you know, I had that concern, you know, who am I going to know, you know, and uh, yeah, just the community there, you know, there were, you know, uh, Do they go by quarter or by semester? By semester. By, by semester. Yeah. So your first semester there. What was your, from the first time that you set yourself in the class and then you're going through the motions and then at the end of your first semester, what was your impression and how did it change? Was it what you expected? Was it too fast paced? Was it too overwhelming or were you just it was, it was, fine? It was intense. Okay. It was, it was very intense. It was, uh, it was very hard. Um, I, I guess I knew it was going to be hard, but... Um, Yeah, I guess the, the the way we like it, you know, like to say it at, at, at MIT, it's like it's like drinking water from a fire hose. Okay. Um, you know, coming that. from Chula Vista High School, where you know you're arguably near the top of your class, you know, one of the top students, and um, the pace was, you know, much slower here at MIT. Um, everything was much faster. Right. You know, all the other students around you were, were top notch as well. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what was great about it—that everybody was in the same boat, right? right. We were all you know, to some extent, um, being very, very challenged and we're all feeling how intense it is week in, week out. And right. so that very first semester, um, it was, it was, uh, you can say a rude awakening, right? Yes. Just to know that when I was in high school, I only had to study, you know, say so many hours at right. MIT, I had to double, triple, quadruple that effort, you know, to just, you know, be able to sustain. At what point did you realize that you had to put in more effort than what you were doing in high school? I would say, After I, you know, to be up front of it, after I failed my first exam. You failed your first exam. Yeah. Which class was that first exam? Because that, that is key mm -hmm. for you realizing that, oh my God, this is a rude awakening and I got to step up my game. That was, uh, that was my, my chemistry class, uh, my intro to solid state chemistry okay. class. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay. that was, uh, that was uh, to say the least, um, you know, yeah, I was, I was not doing well and, and I had to... You know, going into the final, right. um, really step it up a lot, you know, okay. and study a lot to, 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 you know, get a passing grade into the class. Okay. Um, so, just at get, MIT, so, just get a passing grade. You mean, you just wanted to be able to get a C? You weren't shooting for an A at that point. You were just like, I hope I can get a passing grade so I don't have to repeat the class. Well, at MIT, the very first semester, um, they understand that it's a shock to all right, new students. And so they don't have grades, if you will, well, the very don't. first semester. It's just pass or no record. Okay. And so you only get a pass or no record. So, so I was at risk of not passing, right? And so okay. um, that class. But sure enough, um, you know, I... I, I I work extra hard, if you will, going into that final, you know, I, I went to office hours, um, you know, went to see the professor, you know, got a, another tutor, um, you know, and eventually I've ended up doing well enough on the final to, to pass Is that class. something that you were not doing at the beginning of the semester and after that fail in the midterm, you essentially said, I need to step up my game and this is what Absolutely. I need to do. How did you learn that that's the stuff that you needed to do? Did you find a, an organization, student organization, or you found mentors, student mentors that helped you through that? Or did you just figure it out on your own by mimicking what other students were doing? To some extent, it's mimicking what other students are doing. But, but I mean, that you know, MIT has a lot of, you know, resources for a lot of freshmen. And so, um, they have, you know, different tutors and, and office hours, um, 
you know, with the, with the student tutors. Um, and then you can go to office hours with the professors as well. And so they said, hey, these are opportunities. These are, these are, are, are resources that are available to you. You know, take advantage. And so then that's what I did. Um, and so, um, but yeah, but a lot of times, uh, you know, at, at MIT, like it's, it's a very tight-knit community. And so uh, often a lot, of, a lot of our peers, we study together. Right. Um, and, you know, you, see, you usually see the students that are doing well. You know, well, what are they doing, right? right. Well, yeah, they are going to office hours. Right. They are going, you know, putting the extra, the extra hours to study. Right. So... Uh, so yeah. Okay. What was uh, is there a particular organization that you belonged to during the MIT years that you were there? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was there, I was part of several organizations. One was uh, you know SHIP, you know yeah. Society of Hispanic and Professional Engineers. Right. Um, there was another one um, called called Lucha, La Unión Chicana por Aslan. Okay. Um, you know, kind of um, like Mecha. Kind of like Mecha, okay. exactly. Right. Um, and there was another one. Uh, you know, we like to have a clever name. It was called the Mariachi uh, Institucional del Tecnológico. What is that? MIT. What is, what is that organization? It's a mariachi. It's a really? Mariachi. So I actually okay. uh, I joined a, a mariachi at MIT and I learned yeah. to play the, the vihuela. So, really? Mm-hmm. So you, you played other instruments too, right? I do. Okay. I do. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So you play, what's your other instrument that you play? Uh, I actually also play the flute that, play I, the flute. that I played uh, since I was in third grade and okay. so all the way through high school. Okay. Just for our audience, you know, I know Jose Luis. Uh, from before I was married and during my wedding ceremony at the church, he was actually playing the flute. So uh, if it would be nice if he could share with us a little bit of the favorite, you know, musical piece that he, he actually enjoys. Okay. Yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna, we have the flute set up here and we're gonna have him demonstrate A little warmed up sure. here, so yeah, yeah. So play an excerpt from, uh, I guess it's from Carmen Suite. Okay. Um, you know the second movement, I believe. So. Okay. Thank you so okay. much. Sure thing. Um, how did you pick up the musical instruments? How did that passion develop? Um, well, I think it has to start with my, my parents, right? Parents I mean, they were the very much into music. Pushed, well, pushed I mean, you know, I just hear they, you know, they love music, you know, and they would play music on the radio, um, you know, and so I would just hear it all the time. And then um, growing up, you know, I went to the, I went to Nikoloff Elementary School as part okay. of the South Bay um, Union School District, where they had a music program available um, uh, for all of us, and so I guess it all started uh, with uh, with my older sister, um, you know, Lila, who who played the flute actually as really? part of that as okay. part of that music program. So she was in the wind instrument exactly section of that program, right? Okay, and so and, and you just went in and you said, "Well, I want to play the flute." 
So. Well, actually, I actually I wanted to play, you know, the drums oh, originally, okay. right. you know, because, you know, like I said, growing up, you know, you know, my my, my dad would listen to a lot of jazz, you know, so I liked the drums. Oh, okay. And then uh, and then I was like, well, the drums, you know, it's it's not it's too noisy, too yeah. expensive. Um, right. Then I said, well, I want to play the saxophone. Right. Um, and so at the time, you know, it was it was, I guess, you know, a, a financial challenge for my parents to, right. to get a saxophone. And okay. so my sister so I said, well, I still want to be part of the music program. Right. And so um, the flute was there because my older sister played it. Oh. And so, as you know, as, uh, well, I, you needed an instrument to join the program, right. you know, when I was in third grade. So and did so, you guys share the instrument or? So actually my sister, you know, after, after a few years, you know, she decided she no longer wanted to play. Oh, um, and so I, I ended up taking her instrument. Uh -huh. um, and so, yeah, I just took the flute and I said, well, I'm going to take the flute now. Um, and maybe eventually I might, you know, my parents might be able to afford a saxophone. Right. Um, but I guess over time, I guess I just started playing the flute and I eventually got good enough at it that I was, um, I just kind of, you know, stuck with it. Nice. I did eventually play the saxophone for a couple of years, you know, thereafter. But by then I was just so much better at the flute that I... Um, you just devoted just, your time more to the flute. Exactly. Oh, interesting. And so, is there is there ha, have you noticed that there's a benefit from you playing a musical instrument and being taking engineering courses? Has that helped you a lot? You know, in, in hindsight, um, I absolutely feel that like you know going through a music program and playing music um, absolutely helped me with with just my academic and mental performance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 a mental exercise. You know, reading music. Um, you know, day in and day out, um, I, I just feel like, yeah, it's, it's, it just fires different aspects of your brain, you know, and, and I feel like it definitely, um, definitely helped me in, 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 yeah, just being more mentally apt and, and, and fluid, I guess. I don't know. So that leads us back into the mariachi consortium over in MIT. When you go to MIT and you join this mariachi, did you have any expectations? And if you did, what were they? But if you didn't, what is the biggest surprise that you got out of joining that organization? Um, well, the first of all, the surprise that there was even a mariachi at MIT. Nobody okay. really expects that to happen. <laughs> right? But yeah. you know, we had a you know a good group of of of, of musicians and right. talented musicians who they themselves had previously um, played mariachi. Okay. Um, and I was just inspired by the fact of how good they were. You know. Um, and uh, and so I, I had I saw the opportunity to to learn. Right. Um, you know, there was a, you know a, a classmate of mine you know, who who played the vihuela. Okay. Um, you know, his name is Alfredo Bocanegra, I remember, and he uh -huh. was he was you know he played the vihuela so well, and I was just like, man, that's so cool. I was like, well, I know music, right? I know right. how to read music. Right. You know, if you <laughs> teach me, you know, I'll. I'll uh, I'll learn and was and it difficult to pick up a string instrument once you were more used to doing the wind instrument? I think that the difficulty was just the mechanics of learning, you know, just fingerings, fingerings and all of that, and right? And just practicing. Really. I mean, I had I understood the concept of rhythm and and timing and all of that, you know, and and you know, intonation and balance and obviously, you know, playing in orchestras and so forth, but um but yeah, it was just learning just the mechanics of of the instrument itself. Right. Um, you know, and mariachi itself, as stylistically, is is, is very different from, right. say, or, orchestral right. or or symphonic music that you know I was more accustomed to. Right. But um, but obviously, I grew up you know in a Mexican household, and a lot of the songs I knew um, were based and, on that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I also had a, a younger sister who also played in a mariachi awesome. um, previously, and so I just had a lot of you know that around me that you know inspired a lot of me to 
not only learn but appreciate it and and you know and 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 be a part of it okay i'm gonna go back you mentioned you know your early years and this is gonna be about how you went through an accident mm -hmm. what happened on that day it might be you know my you probably remember it quite well i do like mm -hmm. that specific incident what happened can you kind of walk us through if it's okay so this was after uh after my second year at, after my sophomore my second year at mit um had just finished my my second semester right. um in may finished finals i came back home um you know and then memorial day weekend um you know i'm, I'm on vacation i go with uh with some of my family members, my cousins, um, you know, my brother and my sister, we all go down to uh, um, Rancho Santa Veronica, which mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, I don't know how many miles east of, of Tijuana, okay. um, you know, here in Baja. Um, we were riding uh, ATV motorcycles, those four-wheel motorcycles. Um, and and you're, you guys are just there to have fun, to enjoy the day, to, you know, have... Yeah, we're out there camping. Well, yeah, Memorial Day, we're out there camping, you know, you know, you know, carne asada, you know, just, you know, were you Were you the one driving or riding? I was riding. the motorcycle? Yeah, so was I was it, riding. Did you have any passengers on the back or was it just you, helmet, padding, whatever you needed? Was that something that you just, had? I mean, it was, I was just riding the one bike and there were two others that were riding ahead of me. Mm -hmm. um, but typically we take turns riding the bikes, you know, because there was only, you know, I think three of them at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was riding one of them and yeah, I had a helmet and, you know, the right protection. But um, I arguably was not the most experienced driver. I had only really driven one maybe, you know, maybe, you know, three, you know, two, three times prior to that. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't a very experienced driver. And so, um, you know, I was going... Um, you know, there's dirt roads, right. you know, and, and, you know, out in the, you know, out, out at the, the ranch there, right. um, I was going into a turn and in the turn, you know, at the turn up ahead, I didn't, I couldn't see what was there. Okay. And so it was a I, sharp corner type of thing. Um, yeah, it was relatively sharp. And so, you know, I was turning, but at the far end, there was a big ditch, oh, you know, like a big, you know, when it rains, you know, it opens up the big ditch. Right. Um, you know, maybe like three feet wide right. um, that I didn't see. And so when I turned, I essentially went right into it and the okay. front two wheels got stuck. You know, the bike essentially, you know, it went buckled in, on you. it buckled on me. Right. I flew off the bike and then landed on my back so you and, broke, and broke two vertebrae um, and, and, you know, and, and compressed my spinal cord wow. enough to essentially not, uh, you know, damage the nerves to not be able to move or feel my legs right. below the level of injury, which is around... Um, you know, mid back here. So during that, during that fraction of, of a second that when that accident actually happened, mm -hmm. you're flying through the air and you land, you obviously, your body goes into shock and right. you pass out. When you wake up. Actually, I did not pass you, out. You I, was, pass I was out. conscious the whole time. You were time. conscious the whole time. Mm -hmm. So when you fall and you're on the ground, are you face up or face down? Um, I was I think I was kind of like face down a little bit. Yeah, I was face down. I was face down. So yeah. you fall and you're face down and you're you're trying to push yourself off with your arms that are functional and you're you you obviously want to pull your legs under to push up, but nothing happens. Right. How did you feel? Re to be honest, my first reaction was God why? Really? I, I remember, I remember, you know, I, 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 
I fell and I immediately, you know, felt the shock and I, it was a weird sensation that I just kind of felt like my lower body, you know, shut down, but I didn't comprehend what was happening. Right. And I was trying to get up and I, and I couldn't. And, and I just said, God, why? And then, and then immediately after, I, I guess, I don't know, I just said, um, I guess, God, I leave it in your hands. You know, it was more like, God, why? But then I was like, okay, well, I, I leave it in your hands. Um, and then from there, you know, I was trying to get up, but yeah, my legs wouldn't respond. I couldn't really understand why. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, I guess I was just slowly started processing. I was like, all right, well, calm down, you know, you'll be all right. Um, you know, leave it in God's hands. And then so eventually then, then yeah. you're there for a couple minutes. I don't know how many, but then people probably came looking for you or they immediately heard the crash or the turnover of the bike and they come running and they pick you up or they ask you questions. Right. So actually it was my What? family that yeah. was, was driving behind me in a pickup okay. truck, right? Okay. You know, some of my cousins and my, my brother and my sister, mm -hmm. um, you know, they see the bike, you know, that was, you know, right. rolled over and then eventually they find me. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And then I, you know, they said, okay, well, hey, be very careful. You know, I can't, I guess, I don't know if I told them I can't feel my legs or anything like that, but, um, you know, so yeah. So they eventually carried me um, and put me on the back of the big pickup truck. Yeah. Um, on the bed of the pickup truck and then from there um, they drove me slowly because it was a bumpy road right. you know and like you know it, I guess it I was in somewhat pain uh, in a little bit of pain right um, now you mentioned yeah. it was your cousin so it was all younger crowd the younger crowd of, of your family right What? so they drive you to the hospital how far away was the nearest hospital so they actually drive me um, from the accident site to our campsite, which okay. is maybe like half an hour. Then from there, they drive me up to the nearest little clinic. Um, that was a small clinic right. um, that was there. And then from there, um, they actually call an ambulance. Because again, we're, we're, we're at a ranch that's right. it's not a rural a, area. Yeah, it's a rural where, area. It's not near a big cell city. Cell phone towers are not available or maybe right. no, you couldn't really get in contact with anybody. So whatever right. emergencies happened, whoever was there needed to help you out as much as they could. Right. Whatever... You know, support they could give you at that point was exactly. all they had. And then you get to you get to that clinic and then you get to the hospital because the ambulance comes. Right, ambulance then, comes. They right. take me to the nearest hospital right. in, in Tecate. Okay. And then from there, um, they assess the situation. They're asking me, where are you from? I was like, oh, we're from San Diego. Well, they said, um, yeah, it's probably best that If you, you cross over. And you they, cross over and they right. take you. So, um, so yeah, so we go, they take me to the border in, in Tecate. Right. We cross over. Um, You know, funny story actually is that initially when you get to the to the to the border, they um, say, "Well, where's his passport? You know, we need in order to cross." And and initially, my sister's like, "Well, we don't we don't have it." It's like I have his ID though because my sister had my ID, right. and they were looking me. And the sister's like, "Hey, we can't find your your name. Your name doesn't match because I think my dad also had the same name, and so there was an issue." <laughs> right. And then for whatever reason, when I was you know in the ambulance, you know, laying on my back, I remember I was like, "You know what?" My passport. My passport's in my back pocket. You had it in your back pocket. I had it in my, okay. I was like, who's riding motorcycles? Right. Yeah, so I, With you know, the passport I guess, in the back pocket. Yeah, and right. so I guess, you know. You it know, was meant to be. It was God was looking out for me God, or something, right. but, right. Um, you know, they pull it out and eventually, you know, I cross the border. They There's a helicopter waiting for me there. Right. So you got helicopter. I got airlifted air wow. air to, to, to wow. the, to the um, I think it was um, Scripps Mercy Hospital in San Diego. And then from there, um, yeah, the rest is history. So all this is going on. Where are your parents? And how did your mom and dad find out? 
Um, so my parents were back home here in uh, right. San Isidro, right. um, and then eventually somebody, uh, one of my family members, gave yeah. them a call. Yeah. Um, and let them know. Um, and uh, yeah, and so they, I guess they told them that they were going to take me to the hospital mm -hmm. in San Diego, right. and if, you know, as soon as they found out, they probably rush over and meet you over there, and right. they try to find out, figure out what happened, try exactly. to get the backstory of what happened. A couple of days probably go by when you're still in the hospital. At what point did you get the news from the doctor? Obviously, they have to run some tests. At what point did the doctor actually have a meeting with you and your parents, I'm assuming, right. and break the, the news to you guys? And um, how did you feel? So it wasn't until I had probably over a week, probably a week and a half afterwards, after I had my surgeries, you know, I, first, I actually broke my arm as well, so that I had a surgery on my arm, mm -hmm. my wrist, um, and then also surgery on my back. Um, so the doctors typically with these kinds of injuries, you know, they want to wait and see um, because mm -hmm. everybody's a little bit different right. and the, the, the extent of the injury is different. And so sometimes you may not feel, not, you know, anything for the first few days, but after a week or Your after body a couple starts weeks, filling up and recovering it and starts to heal. And so um, it must have been, yeah, maybe like, a, you know, maybe two weeks after the accident or something that I, I guess I was never really given a clear answer. And then I just asked one of the, the neurosurgeons, you know, hey, you know, so what's 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 the deal, you know? Right. And yeah, they basically said that it was it was very unlikely right. that they I was that I was ever going to regain, you know, I never walk again. When they tell you that, did you already have a sense of, I knew this is the way it's going to go? Or was it like a cold ice bucket falling on you at that point? I think I had, I still had hope that, you know, that the initial injury that happened and I was going to heal up and I would get some, eventually I would regain some, some sensation and, and movement. Um, but when he told me that, yeah, I broke down. It was like a, like a, like a bucket of ice, you know, ice water over me. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot goes through your mind in that instance. What was you know? the biggest thing that you can recall that went through your mind at that very moment? It just felt like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of my life was being taken away from me. You know, whether it was my, my love of sports and playing, you know, soccer and basketball, dancing, um, just, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, a lot of, a lot of those things, you know, physical activities, you know, I was a very active, you know, very athletic person. Right. Um, um, so initially, you know, that, that was, that was, that was, that was my thought. Um, my other thought was just, just, you know, yeah, just trying to get back to school and just trying to get to my life, if, right. if you will. So, so you, and the reason I'm asking this is because you obviously managed to finish MIT and you're an aerospace engineer, but this happened right at the middle, right right at the middle of your college career. Right. So there's a before and there's an after. Right. There's a Jose Luis that had different, that had dreams before that was doing activities and there's a Jose Luis that is now in the hospital. And all of a sudden those dreams have to be changed and modified. Not saying that you had to give up on them, but right. there must have been a point at that moment where you said, what am I going to do? Is this still even possible? So you get out of the hospital, things at home have to change. You have to adapt to, you know, moving, being independent in a wheelchair and driving yourself, being able to get into places, opening a door is also a problem. Right. 
As simple as it is for able-bodied individuals to open the door and just squeeze in, you, all, you now have to learn how to open the door, maneuver the wheelchair with one hand, right. and then squeeze in there. Little bumps take a trick because now you have to tip over a little bit, but balance yourself, so you have to find balance. Right. How, and how was that process of you know, adapting? And was there a frustration period? And how did you overcome it? And what happened through those through through that time? As as you mentioned, it's it was a learning process, yeah. right? You have to learn how to do everything all over again. Right. Um, everything from just just you know those first those first first few years, I would say, you know, a lot of a lot of it is 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 just feeling like you have control of your body, right? Right. Um, Feeling stable in your chair, right. um, you know, learning how to go over things, um, you know, taking care of, you know, you know yourself. Um, I mean, just the simple stuff of going to the restroom or right. taking a shower Absolutely. or even putting your pants on or whatever, Absolutely. you know, putting tying your shoes. That that as simple as it sounds, that is something that an independent person has to know how to do right and you had to relearn retrain your brain retrain your body of how to go about doing those things what would you say the biggest motivator in your life was who was that key person that helped you through that oh goodness i don't know if i can sing a lot of key person i mean i, I mean i would i would I would obviously first start with with you know obviously my mom and my my entire family, okay. um, but certainly um, you know being in the rehab facilities, um, you know my mom would be there literally every single day. Okay. Um, you know she'd be the first one in the hospital. You know what's your mom's name? Um, Socorro. Socorro. Maria. So del Socorro. Shout out! Shout out to his mom, Maria del Socorro. Maria del Socorro, who supported you through that yeah. hard time, and obviously your dad. He was probably behind there, right? But, you know she was. Probably one of your key keystone in, in your support in going through all of this. So you're going through now. You're you have to go back to school, right? How how did how do you tell the school, hey, this happened, and how do they deal with it to support um, you as an individual? Right. So so as you mentioned, right? I, I going through this entire process it was it was having that support network was absolutely key right and, and it obviously first started with my family like right. i mentioned my mom and you know my dad and my my siblings you know who all would come visit you know put put their studies and their priorities aside and then when i got to mit um you know obviously one of my sisters you know came with me you know that that very first um, that very first week, if you will, Back. to help me get adjusted and organize my things. Um, right. But then all of my friends there, I mean, again, going through this process absolutely was, I, I owe, I was, you know, obviously I had put in my effort, but having them, my friends, my, my even the professors, the, the, the school, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the office for students of, for disabilities, I forget what the, the office was called. So, but so you went to that office at that Absolutely. Point, and they right? said, hey, whatever it is that you need, you know, right. we'll, we'll, we'll help you get the right, you know, um, you know, adaptive equipment that you need, get, you know, obviously anything that you, uh, you know, yeah. And so they were, they were just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And so um, I feel like just having them made it so much easier to, you know, one of my objectives, just get back to school and get back to what I was doing mm -hmm. um, and just having my friends there 
and everybody around me that was previously there still be there. Right. I think um, I just I can't say enough how 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 much that meant to me. You okay. know, was there um, a point during that transition period going back in and your life changing drastically? Was there a point where you felt unsecure, unsure of whether you were going to be able to make it? To be honest, no. I okay. don't think I always felt like like my, you know, I, I got injured in May um, 2005, mm -hmm. you know, May, Memorial Day week in May 29, 2005. By September, I was back at MIT. Okay. Um, against against the against the recommendation of my doctors hey you should spend more time rehabbing um you know you should you know you so know. you needed to get back in right. motion and get my going. my motivation was like you know what this happened it ain't gonna stop you. i'm not gonna i my objective was to get back to school and finish okay. and and nothing was gonna stop me and and to be honest i never had a doubt that i was not gonna finish because that was that was my motivation it's like you know what this happened but um yeah, I guess I, I just wanted to prove to myself and maybe others and everybody that despite this, um, I'm still gonna I'm still gonna keep going. So you go yeah. through two years go by, you you're at that graduation ceremony in MIT. What's rushing through your mind when you're in your graduation regalia, the black gown? I don't know if you had an honors or not, but you had your you know your graduation hat with the with the beret on the on the side, and you're just rolling through because you're rolling at that time, right? Right. And you get you get to shake the dean's hand, who's handing you the certificate. What goes through your mind at that point? I guess. Um yeah. The, and your uh, family obviously is in the audience and they're cheering for you when they hear your name, Jose Luis Naranjo. Everybody claps and is happy. What goes through your mind? Just how thankful I was of, of, of just being there. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, I guess um, all the hard work going back to when I was a kid, you know, to obviously all the hard work after my accident as well. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, that I that so I, now, I managed, now that, that, you, I, that I that I managed to get through it. Yeah, that you managed to get through it. The celebration, you know, the congratulations from everybody, your friends, your family. Mm -hmm. You guys probably went out to dinner to celebrate your graduation. Mm -hmm. You go to whatever restaurant you know there, and it's you have a happy time. So a couple months go by, and maybe even before, did you already have a job lined up? Um. I did actually. Yeah. You did. Yeah. Okay. So you had had you done internships? Yeah. So previously, I had uh, done an internship with Northrop Grumman. Okay. Um, yeah, that summer before. The summer before. Right. Okay. And that was with Northrop Grumman. And uh, all of a sudden, did they extend an offer for a full time position off of that internship? Um, no, actually. No. Well, actually, they actually they did call me, but um, originally, I actually applied for a, for another position. Okay. At another uh, company or at another, another company, company. Okay. Okay. Um, that you know I worked at for you know I guess it just was not what I wanted to do eventually. Okay. So I actually ended up after graduation um, uh, teaching at a nonprofit actually, oh, math and science. So in, you in wanted San to be a teacher? 
You know, so actually going through high school, I actually tutored. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I guess teaching and I was something I, I very much appreciated doing. And okay. so um, I tried it out for a little bit, you know, working at a nonprofit mm -hmm. um, in, 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 in San Francisco. Okay. Um, so making waves, uh, uh, you know, education program. Okay. How long were you there for? I was there for about like, I would say maybe like four, four, four months or so something it was like that. You would consider it an internship type of thing or a learning experience of testing right. out the waters of whether you wanted to be right. a teacher in a nonprofit and what that entailed. And then when you go and you realize, at what point did you realize, okay, this teaching gig is not really all that, and I, I don't see myself doing it for the next 20 years. Right, and so How not that I didn't see myself yeah. doing it, I think for me, I, I, still, I was still on the fence as to whether I wanted to do engineering or not, okay. and so I feel like I, I just had to, I guess, try it, okay. you know, to, to kind of really know okay. whether I wanted to do it or not, and so I ended up applying, um, um, I guess with Northrop Grumman as well, up mm -hmm. in the Bay Area, right. Uh, and you get a call from them. And I get a you call. Get an internship, you get an, an interview, interview and right. then you get the call back a couple of weeks later right. saying, hey, yep. we're interested in coming, having you come in. At this time, were you still in MIT? No, by this time I was already, I had already graduated. You had already graduated. Were right. you still in San Francisco? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're in San Francisco, you're at the teaching uh, nonprofit organization. Right. And then you just transition over to um, Northrop Grumman. Correct. into that position. How was that transition? How did that change your mind and your perception of you being in this nonprofit organization and now going into an industry job? Um, it's, there's a difference there. I mean, there first was. Off, I mean, yeah. the pay is higher. It was, right, right. right. And then you're not necessarily teaching individuals. Right. You're actually doing engineering work, whatever that might have entailed at right. that point. So it has a different impact. How did that make you feel? Um, I just felt I was, again, I was kind of like, like, like starting college or a new level, like all over again, right? right. You know, you're the new person, you know, so you're motivated to, to learn and to um, figure out things, right? So you're, you're eager to, yeah, just try to contribute as much as you can. So, so starting off, um, you know, I was given a task and, um, you know, the group that I joined was um, like performance analysis, okay. um, um, doing, um, you know, work in the area that I, I kind of enjoyed most, was which, which was uh, thermodynamics, okay. um, you know, th thermal fluid kind of analysis. And so for me, um, you know, given say, you know, they gave me these performance analysis codes that, I just really dug into right? right and say you know here's the study that we want you to do um, and so yeah I, I researched as much as I can of that particular topic you know re reviewed a lot of the documentation reports you know historical reports that you know the company had and just to get myself up to speed mm -hmm. on 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 the system right. you know and the organization you know and and obviously my peers and getting right. to know everybody so did that make it more filling to you as an engineer per the material that you studied in MIT, and that made it worth your while to actually go into Northrop Grumman? Um, absolutely, so I think for me, um, you know, when I, when I entered with Northrop Grumman the year before, um, you know, when you're an engineer, you know, you're studying, you're not really exposed to all the different right. types of engineering roles that are within an engineering organization. So right. there's 
people that do design and you know and, and drafting and they CAD things you know with with computer yeah. you know CAD you know software or there are people that do testing there are people that do systems engineering right. analysis and so I wasn't aware of all of these different kinds of roles mm -hmm. um, but when I did my internship I was in a systems engineering group mm -hmm. which so that's and what so, kind of gave you a little doubt and that's why you went to exactly, the teaching exactly. nonprofit so, organizations. But okay. but then I kinda enjoyed the analysis, right? Okay. I was like, you know, I like I like getting into the you know the, the, the calculations and the equations and um, and crunching the numbers, if you will. So right. um, when I interviewed with, with then this full time position in, in the Bay Area, that was the position. And so um, I, I enjoyed it a lot more. And okay. so yeah, just being in that role was was I'd say more fulfilling because you know yeah I was I was very much applying a lot of the right. the 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 you know the the principles of of thermodynamics and you know and and uh, you know linear algebra right. and you know all of these things to so you were using solve problems. all the engineering class courses Absolutely. that you had and that Absolutely. made it come back and you were actually. No, you seeing all those tools and those yeah, classes. That was awesome. Found myself, so you're in, you're in San Francisco yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, you're there for like 10, 11 years mm -hmm. and you transfer down to LA through Northrop Grumman, different Correct. position. Is that different position a similar task, different? And how did that come about? So I actually still work for, for the same Northrop Grumman up in the Bay Area. Okay. Um, I just happen to work remotely oh. um, down here in, in LA. Okay. And so, um, so yeah, I, the opportunity presented itself. And so, you know, now in, in you know, 2020, okay. um, it's increasingly common for people to work remotely, you right. know, and now the tools are available for us to, to do that. So, um, so yeah, so the, the company was, was, you know, I was fortunate enough and they were, um, did that opportunity present itself or did somebody say, hey, you know, we have now this department opportunity where you can work remote and you can go down to L.A. to the office? And if it's a remote operation, why not be able to work off of San Diego and stay here with your parents? Right. Your family? Right. So I think for us, you know, I had a I had a it's first started with with our group. Right. We were expanding, you know, we were getting a lot more, more, more work. And so. Um, just our facility was getting overwhelmed with just space in general, okay. right? And so, um, you know, the opportunity was presented to everybody. It's like, hey, anybody who's interested in doing remote work, um, the opportunity's there. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, you know, obviously being in the Bay Area for 11 years, um, you know, I, I've been wanting to be closer down to my family. Right. Um, but, you know, here uh, in L.A., you know, they had, you know, offices as well. Um, but I also had another coworker who was planning to move down um, to LA as well because you know he had you know family here as well and so I think it was um, being able to still have some co-workers be with me right. you know here in LA right. and at the same time I still had other collaboration projects with employees here in LA as well right. that made sense to be with people so I think an aspect is is just you know coming down here and not being by myself right. with other, you know, right. employee wise. And right. so having other coworkers around me, right. I think also, you know, factored into, right. you know, being into down making here in LA. that decision right. of a reality. Right. So I've also seen uh, you're very active in supporting the uh, community within the college universities. Is that something that you're doing because Northrop Grumman actually supports you? Or is that a program within an affinity group within Northrop Grumman? Or is that something that you're doing on your own? 
Um, no, so I mean, it's it's something that uh, an opportunity that came through through uh, what we call a, an employee resource group, okay. um, an ERG, or if you will, right. uh, at Northrop Grumman called Adelante. Okay, um, that's for Latinos within Northrop Grumman. Uh, well, it's an organization right. that 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 caters towards. Um, the needs of, of the Latino community, right? right? Whether you're Latino or not, I mean, right. it's, it's, it's uh, open to everybody. Right. It's inclusive but to everybody. It's right. more of an affinity group where if you're a Latino and you want to identify with this culture, right. uh, you can definitely go in. And as you said, an employee resource group, it, you know, it's open to everybody and anybody from different race background, as long as you're aligned with the mission and the vision of Adelante to support Latino empowerment and, or reach out to those, right. Uh, diversity group individuals in the universities, then you can definitely also right. Do so that. one of the one of the right. one of the pillars, if you will, of 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 employee resources group in in Adelante is is community outreach, okay. um, and and student engagement, if you will, um, and so you know a big part of of what you know we do is is reach out to students, whether it's you know middle school students, high school students, or college students, and so. Um, and so, yeah, we would often partner with them to hold events and, um, um, you know, try to give back um, as engineers to, right. to a lot of students who aspire to one day be engineers themselves. Through your 11-year career with Northrop Grumman, what's been the biggest reward within your job as a professional that you can say, I'm proud of this, or this is the highlight of my career at this point? Right. Um, so in the aerospace industry, um, it's not like building a phone, right? Where you can, you know, turn around a phone every year. Right. You know, these, these are massive systems that Take require many, many years and, and long development cycles. Right. And so for me, um, it's been working on certain programs that, um, you know, that, that start from the concept to planning to, to, to design and then eventually see it come to fruition. And right. so being a part of a, a really long program for me has been really fulfilling, right? Where you, um, at least my role is to do analysis and do predictions and, right. and to model um, the behavior of the system, right? right. So um, so from it's, that it's, point of actually yeah. doing the analysis, running through the predictions, it, it's something to do it in the computer, but it's something else to actually see it perform and to get that performance test data and to match it up to those predictions exactly. and to say, oh my God, I got it right or I got it within a certain deviation. Exactly. But I'm pretty close. Right. So that gives you more confidence as to, right. hey, what I'm doing, I'm doing it right. Ex absolutely. Right? right. And that makes you proud to be able to see that happen right. within your professional. Yeah. I mean, to see these massive systems, you know, come to life, you know, where, again, first it starts on a calculation, yeah. you know, and on a computer and actually see it built and, and perform the way you predicted. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a cool thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to go into a couple more questions that are not related to engineering. Uh, sure. What, if you could have any superpower, what would your superpower be? It could be anything. Wow. <laughs> um, I, guess, I guess it would be, I don't know, I guess you could say to fly. I think that would be to pretty fly. cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. to fly would be pretty cool. I mean, I don't know if it's just because, again, I always thought rockets were pretty cool right. and, and planes, but, um, you know, again, seeing, you know, you know, nature documentaries, you know, right. looking at a, like a condor, for example, right. that's the bird that I, I believe flies the highest, you right. know, it's just, you know, what it would be like to just right. glide up in the air. So right. that would be pretty cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, you mentioned your parents pushed you hard and they wanted to have you do well and you had a library at home. 
off of that library, obviously you probably read some cool books, but what is the book that you would recommend students, individuals, professionals that wanted to keep motivated and move forward? What would be a book or um, something that motivates people that you would recommend? Let's see. Um, there's a book called uh, Talent is Overrated. Talent is Overrated. I thought I thought was a was a good read. Yeah. Um, you know, the gist of it is is um, you know that anything you want to be good at, right, is right. is requires what they refer to as deliberate practice, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you need to put effort and practice on things, but you need to practice in deliberate ways. Right. Um, and so often, um, what dictates success in most people's life is not your talent, right, right. Or, or your natural ability. Right. Um, but your ability to, uh, you know, look at a skill and, and practice it in a very specific way right. um, to get better at it over time. And so, um, and you have to push yourself enough that it, it, it stretches you, right. but not too much that it, it overwhelms you. And so you find that kind of sweet spot. So I, I so felt that was... Talent is overrated. Right. That's a book that you recommend that right. you know, made an impact on you and that you hope that some individuals watching or listening to this actually pick up yeah. and, and benefit from. Um, if, you, if you could go back, if you could go back in time and go back to 2005, to that Memorial Day weekend, to that hospital bed and talk to Jose Luis. Jose Luis that is, that is suffering and going through that doubt, doubtful time. What are two or three pieces of advice that you would share with that younger individual? That it's going to be okay. I mean, uh, that it's going to be okay, but um, that to realize that oftentimes things happen to you in life, um, you know, not to, oftentimes to, to what I like to think of is to induce character growth, right? Mm -hmm. Or to, to induce growth in you for whatever reason, right. um, you know, and that all that happens to you is, 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 is to push you in a certain direction and to teach you certain lessons. Um, um, and yeah, that, that had you not had these experiences, right, you wouldn't grow in certain ways. Right. Um, and that we're all, we're all given different abilities, right, and different um, opportunities, right? And at least for me, that, um, yeah, and so, you know, we're all, we're all grow up and, and learn and cultivate different abilities and have different opportunities. Um, and so, you know, if I could go back and, and tell something myself, like, you know, this happened to you, but it happened to you because you were given the abilities to, to deal with it and get past it. Right. Um, whether it's, you know, the character and my, my studies and, and my, my talents and, um, you know, all of, all, of, uh, all of that, but also I was also given and blessed with a, an amazing network around me and support network, starting with my family, 
um, and obviously all of my friends and, and, and now all my peers and coworkers. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. So with that, um, I'm going to ask you what the definition of success is for you at this point. I mean, you've obviously achieved quite a bit. You've overcome so many obstacles. But at this point, what is the definition of success for you that you could share with the audience? Um, for me is, is, is starting off, you know, in, on, on a new skill or, or, or a new endeavor and failing at it initially because you, you haven't practiced right. it. And right. so over time you right. work at it, you know, you have that deliberate practice. Right. Um, so being persistent, being persistent and you yeah. get better at it, right. and you get competent at it. Right. And once you get competent at it, you start to enjoy it. Okay. Once you start to enjoy it, you become you, proficient. At you it. become proficient at it. You start to contribute okay. um, and you start to contribute and then you can then start to help others. And so for me, I guess success is, is being really bad at something at first practicing it, getting good at it, being proficient at it, and eventually contributing to everybody else um, that skill, whether it's helping them or producing something that would help somebody else. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for being here with Success Innovation. To our audience, thank you so much for uh, tuning in to another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. And if you want to connect with Jose Luis Naranjo, you can do that at the uh, LinkedIn. I'll provide his uh, connection at the bottom in the descriptions. So please reach out to him with any questions or comments that you feel are appropriate. And with this, uh, Lazaro Herrera from Success Innovation, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you for having listened to another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. I hope you enjoyed listening or watching the episode as much as I enjoyed making it. This one was truly a fantastic opportunity for me. I definitely learned a lot from Jose Luis Naranjo. His story is fascinating and amazing. It is a story of resilience and persistence. Dedication has driven him and taken him to an apex of success. I hope that you can share this with anybody else that would benefit from it. And that is the only fee from me to you. Please share this, subscribe to the channel, and allow others to learn and to benefit from this type of interviews. I'll see you next time. Lazo Herrera from Success Innovation. Thank you.